Trinity Church, good morning. It is great to see you on an intro. Oh. <laughs> Promise God it is not broken. I want to introduce you to Fred, uh, Frida, your choice today. Um, we are excited. We're going to look at this idea of one of the four metaphors we're going to focus on this month is the body of Christ. So we're going to dive in. It's going to be good. If you didn't get notes, they're in the back or they're on your Trinity app. You can open that up, go to resources, sermon notes, find today's date. If you have a Bible today, you can make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to begin and so excited to dive into that with you. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job today in leading us so well. And they are a great example of many gifts and parts coming together to do a great job, again, not just in sounding good, not just in, in performing, that's not the, ever their goal, but really to help us be preoccupied with Jesus, which they do a great job week in and week out. So that is a great little microcosm. We'll see a few examples today of these kind of micro versions of the body of Christ, and we're excited to kind of explore that together. I wanted to say a couple things as we get going today. First off, I found a rich kind of twinkle in my eye as I was putting on my UCLA socks today and um, just wanted to say that, okay? Um, we'll see in November how good my team really is. Um, Steve did a great job in our announcements talking about Fall Reunion. Let me put that slide up one more time, and let me show you one important thing. If you are going to be up at the lake with us, and especially, this, this may be true, if you're 45, you'll be frustrated, but I think especially if you have a five-year-old, you'll be really frustrated. You'll note the times, that's the time that we have the lake, and we'll have signs with directions. If you've never been there before, don't be intimidated by that. We'll set you up really well with signs to get to the lake. But that two to six is kind of our whole time there. What we will start doing is we'll have a um, sound system up there. We'll start having people get out of the water about 515 so that we can do these baptisms that will start a little before 530. And we have about eight or nine candidates. We're so excited for you to get to hear their stories and just see them make this public declaration of their faith. But I just wanted you to know, sometimes we can make parents so frustrated when Johnny thought he'd have all the way till six o'clock to get to swim, and then he gets really mad. So I'm trying to help build that in now, appropriate expectations. You can let your kids know about 5.15, they're gonna start pulling us out. That also might in, impact when you come so that you can take full advantage of the lake until we begin to shut it down. But that last time is gonna be rich. And a lot of you are bringing kind of like a meal or snacks, that's a great time to be eating. It's no problem if you're eating while they're getting wet, uh, getting baptized, so that's all good. But please join us next Sunday the 12th up at the lake. It's gonna be just a rich time together. Well, we have been working through the Gospel of John since December, kind of taking some breaks here and there. And uh, we got up to chapter, we finished chapter 10 last week, and we saw three weeks in a row this powerful metaphor for the church of that of sheep and shepherd. Jesus, our good, our great shepherd, and we, his sheep. And that prompted me to think that that's one of many powerful metaphors for what the church is, uh, an understanding of what it is, how it functions. And what I wanted to do is to kind of take a month off from the Gospel of John. We'll come back in October and spend four weeks looking at four other metaphors. Because what can be a problem is when we begin to think that the church is 
blank, and it's an appropriate biblical metaphor, but that's the only way we refer to the church, or our only understanding of the church is that it is a blank when it's actually lots of things. And that's our goal over this next month, is to look at these different, kind of like one thing, the church, and looking at it from different angles and perspectives, all from God's word. And so today we look at one that's relatively well-known. It's one that we spent really the majority of our time on in, in terms of any kind of teaching at our Team Trinity rally a couple of weeks ago, talking about the importance of all the parts and how they fit together into one. And today what we're going to see as we look at our friend is we're going to talk about this idea of bodybuilding, okay? It doesn't really look strong on the skeletal level. Just imagine this huge bicep, right? And we're going to see how important it is that the body gets built up. So here's our now what statement for our notes today and as we track throughout this week. Identify your part in Jesus's body, engaging your role while valuing your interdependence on others. The word interdependence is going to be really important today, but understand how God has uniquely gifted you and value the interdependence you have with the other parts of the body. Number one in our notes today, the body of Christ demonstrates both unity and diversity. The body of Christ demonstrates, really presses through the idea, ideas of unity and diversity. And so... Here's what I want to do today. We're going to look at three, the three main passages in the New Testament that talk about the body of Christ, and I want you to read them with me, and we'll kind of do that as a group exercise today. So my friend Zach's got us up there. Let's kind of read it out loud together. Let's begin. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
By the way, great reading. Good job. So this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've not given you the whole chapter, most of it. And you read some powerful things in there, something that we won't have time to explore every piece of it. But it's going to be powerful as we kind of get this idea, God, what are you teaching us? You're using this concept of a metaphor so that we can better understand it in our own lives and in our relationships with one another. Here's a couple of things. Number one, this is that what's unique about this metaphor is that it's purely New Testament, meaning there's no mention of, of for instance, God's people being uh, this body parts concept uh, back in the former covenant. So this is a New Testament idea, different, contrasted from what we looked at last week, the sheep shepherd metaphor is all over the former covenant, and God often talks about his people as his sheep all the way back to the very beginning and then through the New Testament. So this is a New Testament-specific concept and idea uh, that we're looking at. The other thing that's really important to note, though, in your notes, this metaphor isn't a metaphor. I'll explain. This metaphor isn't a metaphor. We are literally the body of Christ engaging his mission and his purpose in the world in the absence of his actual body being among us. Here's what I mean by that. I began this series thinking of these four metaphors, and metaphor, remember, it doesn't use the word like or as. It just simply says the church is the body. Okay, so it doesn't say it's like a body or is a body. That's what a metaphor is versus a simile. Thank you. I looked it up this week. Okay, I know my parts of speech better now. So within that, this metaphor, as I was doing some study, a great commentary, if you remember the name Ray Stedman, I have Ray Stedman's uh, commentary in the book of First, First and Second Corinthians, and it's so rich. And one of the things he says is this metaphor isn't a metaphor, meaning we literally are the body of Christ, as his body is absent, it was on the planet, Emmanuel, God with us 2,000 years ago. But in his absence, we are called to be his hands and his feet. So this one's a little interesting right out of the gate. You're like, Todd, you're very confusing to me. You said four metaphors. This one isn't a metaphor. Here's my take. I think it's both and. I think it really is a metaphor, and the reason why we're going to look at some of these metaphors is because God is going to use something known to us, and he's going to connect the dot to something we need to do in response. He begins with the known, and he moves to something else. Even though we all might not be skilled in human physiology, we might not all be biology majors, it's enough, though, that we can understand as the Corinthians read this letter to them from the Apostle Paul, they could make sense of it. They knew what he was getting at is that we have all this diversity, all these different unique parts that make up one highly functional body. And so within that, I believe it is a metaphor through the lens of God wanting to communicate a unique truth to us that we didn't understand, wouldn't have understood otherwise. But I also agree with Stedman that it really is, we are called to be this unique presence, the physical embodiment, and we'll see more of that even in our next metaphor next week, the embodiment of who Jesus is on the planet during his absence while he awaits to come and, re and return for us. And if that's true, if that's going to be our attitude that we really are the physical, the body of Christ, then we need to maintain his posture. 
Look at what Jesus said he was all about in Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we need to have that ethos, that posture. We are to be a people of service, a people who engage in needs around us just like Jesus did. So we picked it up partway through in 1 Corinthians 12. It begins, Paul's answering a question they have, quote, about the spirituals. Our Bibles are translated in 12.1 as spiritual gifts, but it's just there in the Greek as spirituals. And the idea is, is he talks about all the different ways that the indwelling Spirit of God uniquely gifts God's people so that we might serve according to those gifts for the greater good, but yet still be unified within it. In the passage that we read, there was this powerful line, so that there would be no division. So there's this deep sense of unity that runs throughout this whole concept. And these body parts aren't meant to simply exist, but they're called to serve. It's a service-oriented concept. The whole idea that we each have a, a part of the body and that we're uniquely gifted by God and as one group. We'll talk about the body today in those microcosm examples of the worship team today to even us as a local church, a local expression of the body of Christ called Trinity Church to even the universal body of Christ, his church all throughout the nations. As we even prayed for the trots today serving in Argentina, those are the different examples. That's how the body fills out and, and is true at the largest level and it's true at small, smaller levels and versions as well. The reality is that's always been important to us at Trinity Church in our 41 years of our story, so much so that it actually is one of our core values. We talked, Steve mentioned those today as part of our Discovered Trinity. Our core value in particular is that you are designed with a role in mind. We really believe that, and Trinity Church has evidenced that so consistently in these 41 years, is that we are called to be a people who do recognize our gifts, our design, and then we engage them for the good of one another and for Jesus' kingdom. When we see this idea... Of, of this contrast, and he's pulling together these really two powerful concepts that generally don't go together. Unity and diversity, you think, are really the, the recipe for disaster. But it, when we look at the body and we see the way that it's formed, you see this is more than a skeleton. You'll see parts of tissue and different things related to joints. These are all true parts of what's going on in the body. And so when we look at this and we see this concept, I'm going to stop kicking Fred. Sorry, bro. Um, when we see this concept, what we're looking at then is that in that unity, this is not just a, a bunch of little parts that exist on their own. They need one another. They exist together. But what's also true is it's not just one dynamic. There's so many things going on that make up the whole. We've talked before about the etymology of our English word university is the joining of those two concepts of unity and diversity. And that's a powerful concept. And when you think about this idea of the challenge that the church has always had, Paul wrote about it in the church at Corinth. It wasn't just that there's so many different parts or so many unique gifts. It's that there were so many different types of people. Remember part of what we just read, whether Greek, I'm sorry, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. So there's a huge expanse of the types of people. So I want you to think about this. 2021, 
Consider types of groups of people that assemble under one banner. Think of that, different pockets of people that have some sort of commonality that they claim together. And think of the political, think of the religi- uh, uh, regional, think of the economic differences of people and the diversity that one might find. And when you try to begin putting people together, especially in our world today, what you find very quickly is friction and division. Notice in your notes a really good working definition of division. Division is the result of diverse people who value what they don't have in common more than what they do. Division is when a group of diverse people value more what they don't have in common than what they do. And man, it's sadly to say, if there's any place that gets demonstrated the most, unfortunately, is often in our churches. We have so much in common. The most important thing in common in Jesus and his indwelling spirit. And yet we can focus so much on what we don't have in common that it creates rifts. It's the essential nature and understanding of the church's nature. And the reality is that it only works if something is holding it all together. More importantly, if someone, that of being the spirit of God that indwells us and leads the church. I think of one of my favorite examples. I've shared it with you before. I was a youth pastor up in Oregon, and we were doing a fundraiser that particular day. And there was just this sweet couple, elderly couple in our church. And I remember walking around just greeting people. It was a spaghetti dinner. It was probably horrible food. But they were giving money so we could take students down to Mexico with the goal of not only being an impact and a, a help to what missionary efforts were there in the church there, but also to impact these students' lives. And as I was walking around just talking to people and interacting, I remember this guy stopped me and he said, Todd... I just want you to know I really appreciate what these students are doing. I can't wait to hear the good things that come from their week down in Mexico. But he said, what I really want you to know, though, related to you and me. And then my ears kind of, I leaned in a little bit like, what are you talking about? He said, I want you to know I really appreciate the way that God has gifted you to speak. God has not gifted me that way. But he's like, but I want to tell you, I can build the box that you stand on when you talk. I'll just never forget that. This guy was easily 50 years older than me. And for a young 20-something youth pastor, that meant the world to see the value of how we interrelate, how we work. And what gets in the way often is ego. But the reality is he was exactly right. We are gifted in different ways, and those gifts give us the opportunity to support and work together, support one another When you think of this idea, and when we really lean into this local assembly, let me talk about this expression of the body of Christ. When we lean in and really do become a functional, contributing part of the body here at Trinity Church, it's amazing the reciprocal effect of how needs get met in your life. Listen to this great quote. It's up on the screen. It's from David Pryor. He says this, as the body of Christ operates in this way, this university and, or un, unity and diversity, so the individual members will find their real needs met. The need for security is met in the assurance that I belong, right? It's one of our core values. You belong here. I belong to the body. The need for identity is met in recognizing and working at the fact that I have a distinctive contribution to bring to the body. There's purpose. I have a reason I get, how I get to contribute. 
The need for a proper sense of responsibility is met by assuming concern for others in the body. I need you. I feel with you. I rejoice with you. So each individual grows as a person and as a Christian in direct relation to his finding his place as a member of the body. That's a powerful quote, and, and we don't share it to say, first off, the reason to become a, a, an engaged member of the body of Trinity Church is so your needs will be met. That sounds very consumeristic, but I'll tell you, when you engage as a contributing member of the body of Christ at Trinity Church, your needs will be met. It's a powerful axiom that works when we head at it for one goal and we see God bless in another. Number two in your notes today, you are to identify and engage the specific gifting that you've been given. You are called, or you are to identify and engage the specific gifting that you've been given. Let's read the second of these three very powerful passages about the body of Christ. This one now comes, these are easy to remember, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. This is one of the other ones. Let's read it together. For by the grace given me, let's read it aloud, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body." and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's a great passage and, and where you'll see some real things that are very consistent about what we just read from 1 Corinthians 12, it has some unique nuances that we're going to look as well. Historians, church historians would tell us that 1 Corinthians was most likely written about two years ahead of Romans. So Romans came second, even though it comes earlier in your Bible, it came second, and in that, Paul is borrowing then from an image, a metaphor he's already used with the Corinthian church, and now he's going to share it with the church at Rome. This passage that we just read comes right on the heels of an incredibly significant passage. The first two verses of Romans 12 talk about worship, and never once does it mention singing. It talks about offering your body, the whole of you, as an act of worship. I'm giving you, Jesus, all of me. And it begins with a transformed mind. That's what verses 1 and 2 talk about. But then right on the heels is where we picked it up in chapter 12, verse 3. And it's in that context that we're talking about this idea of the different parts of the body. Paul's using very similar language. Did you note this, though, that in 1 Corinthians 12, with so much language about the Spirit of God being the giver of these gifts, you didn't even notice that word found in Romans 12. So Paul doesn't emphasize the work of the Spirit. What he emphasizes, though, is the grace in the gift. He talks about these grace gifts being given to the Roman believers. So someone, when you think of that concept, and that's just a fascinating thing, we lose perspective so quickly. Someone 
might give you just, and, and maybe think in your own life, if there's ever been a time you've received what you would call an extravagant gift. It might have been related to a birthday or Christmas. It might have been out of the blue. But just a gift that blew your mind that someone would do this for you. Generally speaking, when you receive that kind of gift, you don't get arrogant about it. You're deeply grateful and you're deeply aware. I did nothing to earn this. This was simply given to me. And as a result, I'm going to invest it, I'm going to use it, I'm going to enjoy it. And so the reality is, is that that's what gifts should do in us. Sadly, our gifts, the giving of what God has uniquely built us for to serve in his church, can often become a place of ego, can often become a place of pride. It just makes zero sense. Look back in verse 3. I'm going to put it back up on the screen. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. This is a fascinating verbiage just to begin this flow of thought. It, it induces humility. It begins with this concept, don't overthink of yourself. Don't think of yourself as more grand than you are. Remember this is a gift. Remember this is all of God and what he has given to you. It's yours to invest, yours to engage. So it's important, but you noticed another thing was not just the humility within the thinking, but the clarity. Think of this yourself through the lens, not just of humility, but through accuracy, with, with the sober judgment that understands according to the faith you've been given, so you've been given this gift. That's interesting. Some of you would say today, Todd, it's not a matter of me not wanting to invest my gifts and serve at Trinity Church as though I'm resistant or stiff-arming that idea or just too busy. I don't know what they are. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know how I'm built, so I don't know what I should do. And that, that happens uh, very frequently. And the reality is, is that until you put gifts in motion, you often don't know. That makes sense to me. One of the things, though there's many ways to really get over that being a problem, but one of the ways that we do that is we do a design class. The next one we're going to be doing is about a month from now, October the 10th. And I just want to remind you of that. Put that on your calendar. You'll hear us start talking about it. That's the whole point of the class is understanding how have you been designed by God and have you put those gifts into motion. So I'd love for you to consider that. So the second factors beyond even that of humility and accuracy also talk about this idea of according to the faith, according to the amount of grace given to you. So there's a proportionate concept. I remember being at a conference um, when I was a family pastor and I brought our whole kids team to this conference. And as we were there, I think one of the probably the most helpful things I'd ever heard about understanding the proportion of gifts, meaning my thought was if you have a teaching gift, you have the same teaching gift that's on par with every other teacher. And I don't think I'd ever articulated that, but I think I just assumed it. And then at this conference, they did a great job using the idea of light bulbs. And they talked about this and they said, what, what are these things representing? They're both, they both give light. This is the equivalent now today with light bulbs. We talk about this illustration was pre-LED lights, pre-wattage reducing lights. So you talk about the idea of wattage, okay? Now we have lights out here that use like two watts, okay, of energy. So it's like a, a moot point at this point. When someone talks about your high wattage, I'll go, you just waste energy, 
right? So the illustration has lost a little luster, I realize, this week. But, but think of this concept, okay? Think of this concept. You would take this light bulb. They both, if I uh, screw out this other light, you'd see they both have the same end, so they could equally go in a different kind of light. But think about it for a moment. This kind of light is the perfect kind of light bulb that you want to put in a lamp that looks over your reading chair. This is just right. Imagine if you put this one in there. Okay, you're reading a page that might be, uh, you know, black print on a white page. It's just popping you, hitting you in the face, reflecting off this light. This would be a horrible light to put in that lamp. Conversely, these can lights are what we were using out under the pavilion when we were doing some outdoor things during COVID. These lights are perfect for just shining a big wash of light in a space so we can see. Imagine if we unscrewed this light bulb and put this one in. Here's a nice little reading area for one person. But it would not accomplish the purpose at all of what this one needs. So the reality is, is that we have different wattages. And that's all, remember what we saw in both these passages, all of it according to God's design. Where someone might be frustrated, God, I wish I had a greater wattage of this gift. Others would say altogether they have gift envy. God, I wish I just had that gift rather than one you've given me. But either way, when we talk like that, when we feel like that, we're forgetting this big picture idea. Jesus is the head of the body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he's arranged the gifts as he's seen fit. So both your unique wattage and your unique gifting is exactly what he intends. So then it's a, a time in our minds to kind of turn that corner to go, God, that means I really want to understand how you built me, how you've designed me, and I want to embrace it. And I want to utilize it as best as I humanly can. When you think about that aspect of even serving, many of you on a Sunday morning, you'll see Steve-O bopping around on our facilities team. Steve-O just came on full-time this week. We're so ecstatic. And with the rest of the facilities teams of Stephen and Scott, we have a great team. Steve-O was built to serve, like serve, like turn things over, set up, tear down, take out trash, anything you need. Steve-O got me this light today on about five minutes' notice. Stevo is built, he has a high capacity, a high gifting in serving. But what is fascinating, when you take that serving gift, that was one of the ones we just read about in, first, or in Romans 12, when you take that, someone might have a different wattage and even a different application. Today we have people up in the mezzanine on our productions team, Rich at the sound booth, Sejoy on the lights, and they're also engaging a gift of serving but it's a serving that has a real technical nuance and an ability that really does it, it serves in a whole different capacity, but very needed for us to be able to do what we do on a Sunday morning. So this re- reality is these flesh out in all these different kinds of ways and all with their own applications, but they're powerful to consider. In all of these ideas about how gifts are distributed, we still see, though, the same three themes of unity, diversity, and interdependence, the same ideas we observed in 1 Corinthians 12. And I really appreciate the way that Paul so simply states what you should do once you realize how you're gifted. Do it. You read it multiple times in Romans 12. If your gift is this, do it. If your gift is that, do it. 
do it. Put it into motion. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. And it's nothing that needs a head scratch. And it's a powerful reminder to go, okay, Lord, that's something that you've just called me to. You've called all of us to do. In a recent email to me, I don't usually quote emails in front of the church family. This one was so rich, I had to. Some of Bill Bennell's uh, home group is here today. This is what I put in your notes. He wrote this to me in an email. If you are a member of this body, you have an obligation to perform your part in the body function. Don't be the appendix. I love that. Don't be the thing that gets infected and has to, oh, I pointed to the wrong side. Don't be the thing that gets infected and has to get yanked out. And that basically is dispensable. Can live pretty well without one. Don't be the appendix. Be invested. Be engaged. Way to go, Bill Bennell. Now, one of the things that we had done at the beginning of August is we talked a little bit about ways to get involved and use your gifts. Here we are a month later, and I wanted to kind of resurge. One of the things I had shared with you in the month of August was that there really are some critical areas of investing and being engaged in ministry that because we don't have more teammates in these areas, these ministries are suffering. They're, they're lacking really being able to do all that they're intended to do. So I made a list. They're in your notes. They're up on the screen. I want you to take a look. So whether it be things like HSM small group leaders, we have a great team. We just need more to be able to make those small groups truly small. Oh, good question. High school ministries. Yeah, good. High school ministries. Um, Trinity Kids Sunday morning leaders and worship leaders. So with our kids' birth to fifth grade that meet over here in our kids' building. Um, worship service greeters, start here booth staff. Uh, that's our group that uh, Steve mentioned earlier. I think I have a couple others, people to help keep us organized. Um, our coffee house team, safety team members. And we just honestly have some spaces on campus that need to be um, spiffed up. They need to be reorganized. Think of those gifts. Think of a coffee house team and someone who leads worship for third graders. Those are pretty diverse gifts. Okay? And that's the beauty of this list is that the needs are, are all kinds in all kinds of different ways. And it's not just we only need this one size fits all type of person. Okay? So think about those. Let God kind of impress those on your heart. If you have any interest in pursuing, just wanting to know more, you don't have to commit, email uh, my admin, Sherry Blakey, and she'll get you to the right person that can tell you more about that. Finally, today, number three in our notes the body of Christ is meant to grow up and be built. The body of Christ is meant to grow up and be built. Here's the last of these three really kind of when you think of the body concept. The last one comes from Ephesians 4. So let's read this one together. Read it aloud with me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. We'll go down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of all the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, great job reading. I'm very proud of you. So within this, this third concept, Ephesians, Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, which is written even later than Romans. So when you think of them like a timeline, Paul first introduces the idea of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, later, a couple years later, Romans chapter 12, and even later than that, prison epistle, Ephesians 4. Now, the, the book of Ephesians actually threads the concept of body from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5. We looked at where it really expands the thought, and that's here in chapter 4. And what you'll see is, again, very similar language, but it really doesn't talk about body parts. Towards the very end, verse 16, talks about things that are being held together. But generally speaking, it's talking about the body as a whole. And in this language of what it's talking about, it's talking about the need for the body to be built up, the need for the body to become mature and no longer be infantile. That's kind of the big picture concept that we walk away uh, from this idea. Now, um, when we think about the other passages, we didn't read in um, 1 Corinthians 12 all the lists of gifts like we read in, in Romans 12, but in Ephesians 4, it really doesn't present a list of gifts. It actually presents a list of roles or, or a list of, 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 of leadership within the church that is meant to provide leadership so that certain things would happen. Look back up on the screen again. Here's one of the verses. This is what these pastor teachers, along with apostles, prophets, etc., are called to do, to equip his people for works of service, so that with the result of the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Okay, this, this growing up out of being an infant, attaining to the whole measure of all the fullness of Christ. So this is what we do. We note this progression that Paul's talking about to a local body, a local church at Ephesus. When leaders within Jesus' church equip the body to be built up to serve well, it's all in the nature, the concept of serving, then the body is built up with the long-term goal of reaching unity and becoming mature, full-grown. And this contrast is made in the passage we read with that of being immature, of being infants, tossed back and forth by the waves. And who is the, the culprit of that? He talks about deceitful schemers. Those are those who are trying to keep throwing the church into chaos versus those that are leading it towards unity. So the solution of that kind of immaturity is to grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that of Christ. And the passage finishes with this incredible outcome expressed in this growing up or being built up into this version of Christ. Now, it's interesting. Paul switches metaphors in the middle of that passage, and he moves from this organic concept. He'll go back to it, body of Christ, and then in verse 16, supporting ligaments and things that hold things together. But kind of in the middle of it, he shifts to construction language. He starts talking about literally building buildings in the middle of an organic concept, like you have an organic metaphor of the body, and then you start talking about like a construction, brick-and-mortar concept of building, and that's a little bit confusing. 
Next week, we're actually going to go there. That's going to be the metaphor we're going to look at is the church is a building, and I'll expand on that more next week. But for now, think of it this way, though. This is where it didn't really throw me off. In our vernacular, in our culture, we often talk about body building. And you're like, Todd, that is so sad. Yeah. I get it. But, that, but you get the point, right? Just like me and Fred. Not a whole lot on the bicep, but you get the idea. We talk about bodybuilding, and, and that's exactly, interestingly enough, our English concept is actually just like what Paul's using in the Greek. He's mixing metaphors from that of an organic physical body to that of a building. We do it all the time. That person really goes to the gym a lot and does a lot of bodybuilding, And so really what we have is the church is actually meant to be the prime example of bodybuilding, of this body building and growing in maturity, growing to a sense in all the parts. You saw that. Sometimes you'll see someone and you'll note, I don't know bodybuilding stuff well, but when I see one huge bicep and the rest of the body like not looking that built, you'll note someone's got a really great 20-pound Um, what do you call it? Dumbbell. Yeah, that's right. Dumbbell. And they just really work this one arm really well, but the whole body isn't built. And Paul's saying all of the parts matter. So what you could say to draw from an 80s um, thing is that in essence, the, the church leadership, especially pastors at Trinity Church, rightly so are like Hans and Franz, and we are here to pump you up. You're welcome. If you are under 35, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, just um, Google Hans and Franz. You'll see it. Now, watch this. This is really key. Don't miss. Don't miss how Paul communicated the how. How is, like, we would think, oh, through sweat and tears, right? That's oh, lots of, you know, you know, machines and lots of effort. This is the how that kind of growth happens. Two phrases up on the screen. Speaking the truth in love grows and builds itself up in love. Fascinating. Those thoughts mentioned twice the idea that how is the body going to mature? What we often go to, especially in the church, is that the way we're going to mature, the way we're going to be built up is with more stuff, more knowledge. It's not that knowledge isn't important. It's not that knowledge isn't needed. Knowledge was mentioned in that passage. But love, love is the way because of the interdependence. We're not just going to work one muscle. They all matter. Love is going to be the way that we mature and become more like who Jesus wants us to be. This final metaphor, the body of Christ, very much not talking about much of the parts in Ephesians 4, just the body as a whole. The body is a beautiful picture of the now, not yet, because what the body is going to be in Ephesians 4, one day fully grown, fully mature, when we get reunited with our Savior. Between now and then, we are maturing. And this great quote from Peter O'Brien we'll finish with today. In one sense, the body of Christ is already complete. It is a true body, not simply part of one. In another sense, that body is said to grow to perfection, a process that will be completed only on the final day. 
The body metaphor reflects the already and not yet tension of the two ages. It is both complete and yet it grows. It is a heavenly entity and yet it is an earthly reality. And it is both present and future with a consummation occurring at Jesus' second coming. That's a really great way of saying that. We are the body and we will one day be complete when we see him face to face. This week, our now what statement, identify your part in Jesus' body, engaging your role while valuing your interdependence with others. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as your body, the body of Christ. That's a powerful thing to consider that this metaphor is more than a metaphor. It is a reality that we are called to be your hands and feet. We're called to be the physical expression of you in this world until you come again. We could never do that on our own. It's only by the indwelling spirit that we in any way can live out and can function in a capacity that demonstrates you well. So we pray this week, would there be less of us and more of you? And would we together in our diversity with our unity... God, would we use us? Would we be just a great, another weird way of saying, would we be a great team functioning in different roles but all united in the same way? You might be here today and either you're watching online or out in the pavilion or here in the worship center and you would have to say, Todd, I, I've never really become a part of the body of Christ. I, I've been around church. I know some things about how much God loves me, but I've, I've never really responded to his invitation in the gospel. And I want to tell you, as we've been talking so much about the body evidencing and demonstrating how it is the body, man, that is where it all began for all of us. There's not a single person in this room, online, out in the pavilion, who just naturally became a part of the body of Christ, who was born into the body on our own. Like John 3 said, we had to be born again. So for you, A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admit that you are, there is something wrong and broken in the relationship with God, and you recognize it's your fault. Be believe. Believe that Jesus, this Jesus we've talked about, who did come and live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death, was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. And see his choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope, my confidence, my trust in who you are. I want to live the rest of my life following your example, being a part of your people, your body. Father, we love you. Use us as your body this week as, as the church is distributed, dispersed all over this community. Would we represent you well? We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.